Yo, I'm Damien Roos. Today, broken arms, trainer mats, and how to break with carbon rims. You got a question about cycling? I got you covered. But if I can't find the answer, it doesn't exist. This is your cycling questions answered. Straight into it with question number one. Broke my arm real bad on Tuesday. Getting a plate put in on Monday. Would like to keep riding indoors if possible. Is it feasible or will it be too rough with one arm for six to eight weeks? Well, let's go to the most famous of broken arms in recent times. Matthew Heyman's break six weeks and one day before his win at the 2016 Paris-Roubaix. Why is this relevant here? Heyman did over 1,000 kilometers on Zwift in his house and garage to keep his dream alive of riding the race after the crash that left him with this broken arm. Of course, Heyman was highly motivated to keep riding as he explains, I knew I had to hold on to the months and months of training that I do for the classics every year. This is my 17th year as a professional and it started in October. I spent a lot of time away at altitude, a lot of time away from the family to be ready for the classics. I didn't want all that to be taken away by a crash. So if there was a chance that I could get back, then I'd do it. So know that it's possible to make it through the six to eight weeks that you have. I'm not sure of your motivation or whether you need a thousand kilometers to maintain your fitness. But there are some takeaways, though, that if you're trying to maintain a high-ish load during this time, Heyman says, on the home trainer, I was in my own little world riding in the garage twice a day. His riding strategy was efforts in the morning, group ride in the evening. This is with Swift, of course, where you can do a group ride, which allows you to get a group ride in and not so secret training. Even 30 minutes in the morning and an hour at night would give you a good level to maintain a reasonable amount of fitness and even gives you scope to build some fitness. Having the tools like Zwift available gives you the opportunity to mix it up a little bit and not just get stuck doing the same old thing on the trainer. When you are riding, you will be looking to support the arm somehow. You won't be able or want to put a lot of weight on it, so you'll need something to support it. You could try Heyman's ladder idea, which seems actually like a great solution. So to wrap it up here, the best advice I can give you is to start training as soon as possible. This also may help with the fear of riding again after your accident, depending on how bad it was. But if you train every day, building up with some time with these split sessions, then you'll have a better chance at maintaining fitness. Oh, and one last thing that riding itself might get a little boring, even if you are on Zwift. So figure out a strategy to get through these long trainer sessions, watch a TV series that you've been meaning to start, watch Cycling Maven from the beginning. Whatever it is, you will possibly at some point need something to get you through and having that planned already will help with that transition. And you should be fine and fit when that cast comes off. Question two, moving into a new apartment in a few weeks and I will be starting a training block, looking for a mat that does a decent job of reducing or dampening the noise and also keeping sweat off my floors. This is likely something I'll be leaving out most days, so bulkiness isn't too much of an issue. What would you recommend and why? First, let me address this. The problem with mats is not so much the vibrating that is noisy, it's the indoor trainer unit itself. If you have a traditional trainer, not a direct drive one, you can use things like trainer-specific tires to reduce noise level, 
but really there's only so much they can do. It's about choosing a quiet trainer in the first place. But let's get on to the mats. The best mat for you does depend, like buying the indoor trainer itself on your wallet and how much you want to spend. That said, there are some options and a few alternatives. The job of any mat you put under your bike indoors is to soak up sweat, avoid damage and dampen sound. The last one being the most important to apartment dwellers, which is probably why you put it on the list. And here are the options that I've come across. The first one is a traditional, as traditional as the ye old indoor trainer itself, the indoor training mat. They're sold by any of the companies that sell trainers. The trouble with these mats is the price. They can run from 40, 50 to 60 USD. They do a fine job and each brand has its positives and negatives. The material of the mat varies, but is usually sturdy, unlike a yoga mat, for example. So they generally are well-behaved and just sit on the floor, which is exactly what you want them to do. And it's because of this, they're beasts, heavy and large. Even though you said that you will leave it out most days, storage is a no-no with most of these. So if you are in an apartment, they may be a ball ache to find a place when not being used, like in summer. I've got a cyclocross mat and moving it is an absolute pain. Just to move it, say a centimeter over, you have to lift the whole thing up and then place it down and then roll it back out. It is so good at sticking to the floor that even small adjustments like this are made a pain, a real pain. Going on recommendations from around the interwebs, if the price is not an issue, then the Wahoo Kicker Trainer Mat is the best mat that you can buy. It's the largest and anecdotally the most durable. It's not perfect, but if you take care of it, it will take care of you. As a reference, the Kinetic Floor Mat is bulky but cheaper. The mat from Elite is more expensive but more portable. So the choice here is basically these extra things other than what you stated with the noise dampening and a little less movability and some sweat absorption, you really want to think about what are the next things you need when it comes to a mat, and that will point you in a direction when it comes to these types of mats. But let's go to number two of the options that you have available, and these are rubber foam puzzle piece floor mats. You know these if you have set foot in a gym or even played on some sturdy kids' mats. They can be found online or in a lot of stores. They're very popular. They are pretty cheap, and it's nice to be able to put them in different configurations. For example, most of the time you can put them in a T-shape just under the trainer to dampen the noise. But if you're going to have a really sweaty workout, you can make a mat shape overall wider and longer to sort of scoop up all that sweat. You can also use them around the house whether you're kneeling down on something when you're working on a car or something else. And when you want to put everything away, they just come apart and they stack up nicely under a folded trainer. These also have a price scale and the durability really is kind of linked to that scale. So if you get a cheaper kind of these, then they're going to be a little less durable, but they're going to be portable as hell. And like I said, you can use these for other things. This is something you have to be aware of if you've ever tried to stretch or do yoga on a bike mat. They are built for bikes only. These mats are not comfortable to do anything else on physical. So that's something to consider as well. And the third option that I have here is check out your Walmart type store in the exercise equipment section for mats that, that are meant to go under treadmills. You can get a no-name version of these for around 30 USD. They are pretty much the same as bike mats. In fact, they are bike mats, just sold to a different market. And while you're in the store, 
go and find a washing machine anti-vibration pad or other types of anti-vibration pads. You can put them under each leg of your trainer and they work to prevent vibration from transferring into the floor. You might be able to use these in conjunction with the mat so it gives you a little bit of extra vibration protection and it'll give you more dampening depending on the types of floor that you have and what floor in your apartment that you're on. P.S. If you want to go all in because everything else has failed, Google a drummer's mat. It's effectively a piece of plywood suspended on tennis balls. Bam. Should you buy a kicker or some other indoor trainer? And how to descend properly with carbon rims? Find the answers to those questions out after the break. Before we go any further, I have to mention that all throughout this episode and every time I jump on the mic for your cycling questions answered, you're hearing about what I do here every day at Semi-Pro Cycling. I answer questions on cycling, whether it's about training or equipment, whatever it is. Every single day, I talk to cyclists about their training, their equipment, how to increase their fitness. And in my next workshop, I'll show you exactly how you can increase your fitness for your cycling. In this free online training, I'll give you a live step-by-step walkthrough of how the cyclists I coach, prepare, plan, and perform, including how to focus and structure your training, our top way to arrange workouts, optimize a forgotten area to increase your power, and take guessing which workouts to do next out of the picture. To get your spot on the workshop, go to semiprocycling.com forward slash workshop. I would really love to see you in there, so it would be cool if you went and checked it out. Welcome back to Your Cycling Questions Answered, question number three. Keeping with the trainer theme here, hi, I'm going to commit full on to the trainer this winter. I'm a Cat 4 and want to make it to Cat 3 next year. My plan is to buy a kicker. Do you know of anyone that's regretted buying one or any other recommendations? Looking to buy this week. Thanks. First up, good choice on buying a smart trainer. In all reality, with the options available today, unless you have a really tight budget, a small trainer should be the only buying option. Why? Two main reasons. A smart trainer has two main advantages. The first is Zwift specific, which is simulation mode. Other programs can use this too, but the real appeal of Zwift is riding around a virtual bike course. Simulation mode makes the trainer mimic the resistance of the road you would actually experience. So if you start going up a hill, your trainer is going to add a lot of resistance. Going downhill is likewise very easy. The other is erg mode, where the trainer forces your wattage. So if your trainer is set at 200 watts, no matter how fast or slow you pedal, you will always do 200 watts. This takes your focus off maintaining a constant power and allows you to work on cadence, position, all these other things. Some people really hate erg mode, but others love it. The vast majority of indoor training with the people that I coach is done on erg mode and they love it. So my disclaimer here is that I've never actually owned or ever ridden a kicker. Ouch. But I have found some great first-hand information for you to make an assessment with. This is mixed with some anecdotes about the advantages of the technology like erg mode, etc. So here it is. 
Where is your power meter located? If it's in your hub, then you cannot validate the power from your kicker because it's a direct drive trainer and you've got to take your rear wheel off to use it. It's just something to note. If you do train in erg mode, it's hard to say if it really will make you faster. You will find that you'll push a little harder to complete an interval, whereas the dumb trainer, you'll just let the power drop off. For structured workouts, you may get to love the efficiency of riding in a trainer that much that you start to ride exclusively indoors. You have to make a call on whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. It may take some toll on you mentally, not being outside or whatever, but basically you will have better quality workouts hitting targets in a controlled environment without dealing with cars, stop signs, lights, etc. Consider getting the cadence meter as well. In erg mode, if you're not careful, you'll fall into a death spiral if your cadence drops too low. The trainer increases load on decreasing cadence, and when you're fatigued, this spells the end. Be aware of the dreaded flywheel effect in Zwift. It is a known effect that the kicker incorrectly measures power on increasing and decreasing grades in Zwift. On increasing grades, it overstates power, and on decreasing grades, it understates power. This is very annoying, and if you race on Zwift, don't run it in sim mode to avoid this effect. Be aware that there is a mode called Power Match in Zwift, which allows you to use your power meter as the power measurement device, but still use the kicker's loading to accomplish erg mode. Firstly, this solves the dreaded flywheel effect in Zwift, but more importantly, it allows you to use your probably more accurate power meter to measure power, ensuring consistency in power measurements between trainer rides and outdoor rides. So they have all solid arguments, some for smart trainers in general, some for the kicker specifically. As an alternative, look at the Tax Neo. It's a pretty good bet at the moment. If you are in Europe, it's up to 300 euro cheaper than a kicker too. Something to consider if you are in Europe, especially because then you are also closer to the company that makes them in case there are any support issues. If you can't tell, I'm saying go for it. Absolutely go for it. Buy a smart trainer. If you're in Europe, probably go for the NEO just for a logistical perspective. If you're in the US, the kicker isn't a bad option. There are the other things like the road field to consider. So that goes into the equation as well. But a kicker will, will knock off all of the good reasons that you would be wanting to own a smart trainer in the first place. Question four, there are a lot of mountainous rides around me and I love fast descents, but I can't seem to descend with the same speed or confidence when riding my carbon rimmed bike as I can with my other bikes. My bike with the carbon rims is definitely a faster bike overall, but something about it feels less confidence inspiring than my tie or aluminium road frames and their wheel sets. I think part of this comes from the fact that I have less stopping power with the cork pads than rubber pads, so there is less of a safety net. Also, because the bike is so light and has a large side profile, I seem to get battered around by crosswinds a lot, which is extra scary when going down steep, fast hills. Does anyone have any advice how to overcome this other than to simply stop being a bitch and go for it? The wheels, by the way, he, that he has are Fast Sports 38mm clinches, which are around 500 USD, and he has like a fake specialized Venge. The first recommendation that I've heard people talk about is get Black Prince carbon pads. They are night and day with cork and work better in the wet, but that's not necessarily going to help you with the confidence issue. To get better at confidence, 
You have to practice to gain your confidence. You have to practice your bike's braking abilities. There's a lot of things that you have to practice. And when it comes to riding a bike with carbon rim brakes, the only thing you consciously do differently is brake earlier and harder. We'll, we will get to this, but first, go out and do a max brake test. Find a steep, straight descent and practice braking as hard as possible while traveling in a straight line. You might find that the rear wheel starts to skid sooner than you'd expect and that the fastest possible stop happens with almost entirely front brake and your weight shifted back as far as possible. The purpose of this is to learn what maximum braking feels like. If you start to skid, then just let go of the rear brake. If your rear wheel lifts off the ground, it won't if your weight is shifted back properly. Let go of the front brake. Armed with this knowledge, understand that on a descent, most of your braking happens before the turn even starts. Brake hard and late, aim for the apex, pedal and coast out, repeat. The way to continually practice this is on the same descent. Do the same descent hundreds of times because it's not just that descent that you'll get faster at. You'll get faster across the board. If you take an unknown corner, for example, at maybe 80% of your max, but you're practicing on your favorite hill to increase that maximum, this will increase your speed on new descents as well. On your practice hill, focus your entry and exit speeds. Glance down at how fast you're going before you hit the brakes and turn in, and then glance down again as soon as you've exited the turn to see how fast you're going and how much speed you might have washed off. Note how the right line doesn't feel as sketchy as the wrong line, even at the same speed. If you just want to know some general basic rules about descending, during the turn, keep your weight low and centered between your wheels. This is more forward than you think. Look where you want to go. This is one of the most important things that I always tell people. Look where you want to go. None of this has to do with carbon rims because if it's dry out, carbon rims with the right pads really aren't that bad in terms of stopping power. Even if yours are, you know what your minimal stopping power was from your straight line practice runs and you can edit your braking points accordingly. The stopping power on carbon rims is really no different. The big difference is you cannot drag a brake to slow you down. This can be very expensive. Work on stopping in short pumps. Learn this by going up and down a small hill with a corner at the bottom. Once you get the timing of it and the nuance of slowing down with carbon, it feels roughly the same unless it's wet outside. In crosswinds, drop your center of gravity and get aero. You will have more stability. You will go faster also because you actually have more stability at higher speeds. Applying a little bit of pressure over a long period to keep your speed down is not going to help you. If you're too nervous to go down a hill at 40 miles an hour, so you continually apply your brakes so you make it sure that you never go over 30 miles an hour, this is going to heat your rim up, which isn't too much of a problem with an alloy brake track, but carbon rims can't handle the heat. If you overheat carbon rims, the glue holding the fibers together fails and the rim warps. Warranty will not cover this. It's a user error and they won't replace the rim. So here's an example of how you brake instead. If you're at a comfortable speed but the road pitches down suddenly, give your brakes a whack in the middle of dragging them. Don't do it in a group. The idea is, though, that you're just giving them a whack to reduce some speed and then you want to keep going on your, on your way rather than holding them on continually while going down that entire dip. 
A good idea when training is to stop in the middle of a descent where you think that you're dragging your brakes too much and see if you can comfortably touch your rims. If you can't leave your finger on there too long, you might overheat things. But if it's warm but not overly so, you're fine. And this will really give you a good idea of the heat buildup that you've built up on the descent to that point. But generally, it takes a long time and a lot of friction body weight to do this. So there's a lot of information that I threw in there. There's a lot of information about when to brake, how not to drag your brakes, go out and practice at certain sections and be really analytical about what's happening going in and out of certain turns on your favorite hill. And then all of that information will flow over when you have a descent that you don't know, but you're still using the same skills and techniques to get through those corners. The basic moral of the story here is don't half-ass the brakes for a while, whole-ass them. Or don't buy carbon if you aren't confident on a descent, or you could just go and get disc brakes. But that's the final question. Thank you very much for your questions. You can leave me a question from the website semiprocycling.com anywhere. There's a chat box in the corner that you can type a question into. But definitely thanks for listening. Thanks for checking out the free workshop at semiprocycling.com forward slash workshop. And of course, ride well. (laughs) 